Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hello, world. What separated your deep ball from everybody else? My deep ball, it has a little secret sauce to it, man. <laughs> I never get too high, never get too low, but just keep moving. The, the whole story is Carlos never beat me in any kind of sports in, in, in high school. Welcome to the Orange is the New Black Podcast. I'm your host, Ace Boogie, joined by my co-host, Zim. Zim, say what's up. Hello, world. How's everybody doing? We're uh, licking our wounds, recovering from the most epic beatdown, I think, of the, the entire season. I don't remember the last time we got our ass, like, handed to us like that with a healthy roster. I don't. I, I remember getting our butt kicked a couple times, but with, a like, a no excuses, just take it to the woodshed still recover they definitely took us to the woodshed for sure like you said it's been a while i think the last time that i can remember a loss like this might have been like that chiefs game that we had like a while ago it's been a while since we've gotten well i won't say that because i think the ravens at the end of last season that's probably actually the most recent so i would probably put this one up there with that but it's not as similar as that which i'm sure that we'll get into but Zim, just what are your thoughts, I guess, coming off of that? What were some of the reasons? Like, who are you pointing, I guess, a finger at? Or what can you, I guess, analyze about this latest loss by the Bengals? I think for me, my perspective is, you know, for me, I'm always, I feel like I'm a player first kind of kind of like analyst when it comes to like these, the whether it's a win or a loss, like never too high, never too low. Um, even though I did drink a little bit of that Super Bowl Kool-Aid a couple weeks ago, but this is so far from a Super Bowl team. It is so far from being uh, what we thought they were a couple of weeks ago, but that's the nature of the beast in the National Football League. We have 11 teams in the AFC that now have a winning record. The gap is just, it's its a its an all-out Royal Rumble. But as far as the game goes, people that message me, that want to talk to me about Oh, the front office and and all this stuff. I have a saying that I always tell my son. I ain't got no tissue for you, and I can't help you with them tears. I say that to him like probably once a week. And And it, I feel like he's probably a little bit more adult in some of the situations that he goes through in life when bad things happen to him than most of the adults that I see online as Bengal fans. Just because your team doesn't win doesn't mean you need to write stuff like you want to kill yourself. Uh, here we are again. And da, 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 da. 
putting things in perspective and in reviewing, analyzing is part of the reason why I love football. And it's not a, it's not, we didn't luckily beat the hell out of the Ravens, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Like it, it, it just was a good matchup. Uh, when you look at everything that happened to him and we and you were talking off air, you said, man, the formula for the Browns is getting uh, Baker down. And, and you know, and, and I agree. But you know what it got me thinking, too? There is not a team in the AFC North that is built to come back from anything. The first half of this football, like and, and when I say like come back, I'm talking about like epic beatdowns like that. You're down 17 points. The, the, the AFC North, like Ben can't push the ball down the field. Baker Mayfield is going to try to play hero ball. If he gets put in that situation, I agree. He can't come back. Our line isn't set up. It's not elite or top 10 offensive line that's going to give a team enough time for Joe to just sit back there and improvise and give him four or five seconds. He's getting 2.5 to 3.2 at a max. We saw Baker Mayfield yesterday have all the time in the world, and he didn't have to do anything. So if you're a Browns fan and you got trash that you want to talk to me or anything like that, that, that wouldn't be the game that you want to get your smoke off on me. He didn't do anything that was worth saying, like, this is the reason we won the game. They won handedly because our stars and our players that are supposed to make the plays, the Jesse Bases of the world, the T. Higgins of the world, the Jamar Chases of the world, and, yes, the Joe Burrows of the world. When the plays are there to be made, they didn't make them. And with the matchup that was presented to us, there was no room for stars not to be stars. So anybody talking about Zach and all this other stuff, that's a whole nother conversation on who's a better coach in the National Football League that we have on this show like every week. Maybe my expectations aren't the highest. I thought the first half of that football game, I went back and watched this too, masterful, masterful. The Bengals could not be stopped. In any aspect of the first half, from a play calling standpoint, the 20 plays that were scripted in the football game, I urge any Bengals fan to go back and watch that game. The only thing that stopped us was ourselves in that. And in in the in the Browns had a lot to do with that. Denzel Ward makes the play like the play, you know, like a crazy ass play. Uno fumbles the ball on their side. Every single thing that we do, Joe was seven for seven on fire. But when you get blown out like that, all these things get caught in the mist. And it is what it is. And the players that we rely on that I think are so this, and I say they're that, T. Higgins has to make that catch before the half. If you want to win a big game, if you ever have Super Bowl uh, aspirations or anything like that, when Chubb is running and Chubb is chubbing, and you're in the backfield, Ogan Joby, and you're in the backfield, Hendrickson, you get hands on him, you got to bring him down. And I can't get Zach to go in the backfield and make those tackles. So my whole statement, I think, for everybody, and I got stats and all types of stuff, is I don't have no tissue for nobody's tears. Two losses is two losses, just like anybody else in the National Football League. You regroup, hit the reset button, we watch a film, and I'm on it. Yeah, for me, I think in this game, this was one that I was somewhat consciously optimistic about in terms of our chances about beating the Browns, right? And the reason that I felt that way is I thought that the Odell Beckham Jr., like the focus on that, you know, with there seeming to be some kind of division in that Browns locker room, I thought that that would be uh, a factor that would kind of affect this game. And when I say that, you know, Miles Garrett comes out, gives his stance kind of in support of OBJ. So I'm thinking, all right, well, maybe there's actually some 
division on this team. You got Jarvis Landry, and I thought that the Browns would kind of, in a sense, get caught up in that. Um, and honestly, the one thing that I will say is the Browns, the one thing that they showed in that moment, because don't get it twisted, their season was on the line. That was a must-win game for them, especially with the way that things were going. They stood talking, they stood together, and they came out and they kicked our ass. Like, I'm going to just be real. Like, they executed more than us when they got the opportunities and turnovers. They executed more than us. They they came into this game looking to use this as kind of, I think, a way for them to put the bed to OBJ stuff. And it was – they rose to the occasion. They did their thing. Now, like Zim said, whenever you turn the ball over three times in any NFL game, more than likely you're probably going to lose that game, especially if you're not forcing any turnovers. Uh, but the one thing that I will say is a lot of people are pointing fingers at, at coaching staff members, at players and stuff like that. For me, I never pointed to one person. But after this game, this is just my opinion. I felt like, number one, the turnovers that we've talked about with Joe Burrow, they've come at inopportune situations, and they have affected some of the outcomes of this game. It's not solely on Joe because you had the Uno fumble, um, and it's not solely specifically on Joe because I also feel like some of that may have been uh, contributed into that situation by Zach Taylor, right? So when we talk about, for me, the first drive, I went back and rewatched it, right? And like Zim said, he was calling fire, but you know what the issue I had with his first drive and when the Bengals tend to kind of get into the red zone, they do not hand the ball off to Joe Mixon. And Joe Mixon had a great game, but – and I understand he had the reverse of Chase, and that's cool. But there's a reason that you paid Joe Mixon, and that's one of the areas where he showed later in the game that he was effective. So I would have probably have just wanted to see one run to Joe Mixon in that area. Uh, but – you know, that doesn't happen. The Bengals get into a situation where with them passing and with the Browns playing a pretty solid zone where everything is covered, they get to the point where they have to throw the slant. Um, now, I will say it seemed like Joe kind of stared Chase down on that play. It almost kind of became predictable, especially with the success that they've had with this offense. And that's one of my issues, too, is some of the stuff is starting to get predictable for other defenses to be able to key in and stop it. In my opinion, which we all have an inflated sense of our team and our players. But I feel like at the end of the day, we're all realists when it comes to these players and if they have skills and stuff like that. A team like we have with T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, all of these players, Joe Mixon, no one should be able to easily focus in on what you're going to do offensively. That's just my, my sense of what's going on. So Joe throws the interception. That's not on Zach. You know, it was a throne. It was one that he kind of alerted Denzel Ward on. Denzel Ward takes it back. We all know about momentum, right? But after that, we bounce back. We come right back down the field. Fire. Right? More fire. More fire. Everything is good. I had no issues with what was called and whatever. Then we get on defense. And the one thing that I said going into this game is that the key to stopping the Browns is that you have to contain Nick Chubb. That's what they – it's, they set up everything off of the run, but then the Browns come back and score, right? So then it's 14 to 7. Uh, we have the Uno, the Uno fumble, whatever, all of that. This was the key part in the game, and me and Zim talked about this earlier because we kind of talked about, you know, coaching and, and stuff like that. 
I went back and found the exact area that I was talking about. So the one thing that I didn't um, agree with was in the second quarter, we only scored three points, right? But the thing that I was upset from a coaching standpoint on was the the way that you balance the control of the clock. So this is what I found when I went back and rewatched that. As the Bengals are driving in a hurry-up offense where they are looking um, impressive, there was one point in the game when they the Cleveland Browns still had three timeouts. We had two timeouts. It's a minute and twelve seconds. They're at the they're um they're at the Browns twenty yard line, right? Do you know that on by second and eleven? This is after they took a snack a sack on that play where it was a minute and twelve seconds. By the time Joe Burrow is snapping on second and eleven, there are only twenty eight seconds left in this game. I don't feel like based off of the situation that you were in, I felt like you needed seven in that situation, right? But then, like you said, T should, she, T should catch that end zone touchdown, right? When you go back and look, T's in double coverage. So that's a tough ask for him to catch it between the corner and the safety on that play. Both hands I, on the ball. Guy bring it in. He's the star. He's the Migo. He's why, this is the reason why I talk trash about Browns wide receivers, because I say they can't do what T Higgins is going to do. He's the reason why we draft them that high. Two hands on the football. I expect you to be T Higgins. And that's that's fair. That's fair. But I still felt like had the Bengals have saved some of that time, they probably would have been able to come up with some different kind of chances to, to do it. But anyways, you know, three points. Cool. Right. So now it's 24 to 10. My only issue was why I wanted with why I wanted seven was the Browns were getting the ball after halftime. So if they get another seven as soon as they come out. That's going to be a tough situation to go for to come out of. But what happens? The Bengals defense steps up. Trey Hendrickson gets the sack, right? Yeah. And this is the other part um, that I was talking about that I had an issue with. I had to go back and rewatch it because there was a point in the game where we punted, and I was like, why are we punting? After that, right? And this is this is where we talk about – I know we're going to talk about Jonah Williams and all of that. And no, don't, Jonah Williams didn't have a bad game, right? But this is the context of when these things happen. He did get beat by Miles Garrett. Do you want to guess when he got beat by Miles Garrett? When the Bengals get the ball back after they stop the Browns on defense. After the Trey Hendrickson sack, Miles Garrett gets the sack on second and six that pushes it to third and 11. So he gets past Jonah and gets that, right? That's the and one then, with Joe Joe Burrow steps up in the pocket and it falls at the, at the, at the line of scrimmage? Nah, I think this is the one where he just beats Jonah and comes and gets him in the backfield. He steps up a little bit, but it's like a one-yard sack. I think that is the same one. Yeah, yeah, so, like Joe steps up. He thinks he's getting back to the line of scrimmage. Miles Garrett right. get, cleans it up at the end. Joe Burrow falls at the line of scrimmage. I was mad they gave him a credit for a sack, but okay. Right. So then it's third and 12, right? And um, on that next play, the very next play, it doesn't count as a sack or anything. If you watch that play, Miles Garrett beats Jonah Williams again. And honestly, this is a big one because I felt like it was a missed flag. He went low on like Joe's knee. So you, you'll see Joe like fall down. I honestly thought that that should have been um, a potential penalty, but he gets the ball to Chase, but Chase is short, right? They're at their 33-yard line, and it's fourth and three. You're down 24 to 10. But, that, but, the, but, but the Bengals are on their 33, not They're the Browns. Yeah, we're on, we're on our 33, right? It's 24 to 10. Given the circumstances that happened in that game, 
about what whatever Cleveland did. You only scored three points in the second quarter. In my opinion, fourth and three, you got to go for it. You got to go for it in that game because at that point, it's going to be 24 to 10. If they score again, it's 31 to 10. At that point, you got to go for it. But guess what happens after that? They punt it. And two plays later, Nick Chubb runs off a 75-yard touchdown to blow the game completely open. Those were the only decisions from a coaching standpoint that I had an issue with when it came when it came to Zach. Zach's not responsible for those turnovers, but Zach is responsible, I felt like, in key moments of those games to make those decisions to go for it. Like, if you're going to be aggressive for it and you're going to do these things, you got to do it on fourth and three when – when you're trying to stop a three-score lead because Zach has said himself, we always try to score before the half because we know a three-touchdown lead in the NFL, it's a wrap. You're going to put somebody to sleep doing that. And so on fourth and three, I could understand fourth and 11, fourth and 19. This is fourth and three. And you got Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and Mixon, who was eating on that drive. Like you had to have something that you could call on a fourth and three instead of punting the ball back to a Browns offense that you had trouble stopping in the first half. And you just had that major stop with Trey Hendrickson. It erased that. You didn't capitalize on it. And next thing you know, two plays later after Nick Chubb is running 70 yards on your ass, it's, the game is over. The game's over. Okay. So from a philosophy standpoint, there's one standpoint where I am the leader of the Harry Nice gang, and I'm the first person to say, go for it, go for it, go for it. But I'll take it a step further. You don't have the hindsight to know that Nick Chubb is about to run 70 yards. You know Nick Chubb is that's running right. well, but you don't know that that's about to happen. We're looking at this after the fact. We're looking at a game that if you don't get that on your side of the field is no worse than Jamar Chase fumbling on your side of the field. Like you turning the ball over and giving them the ball running like that on the 30-yard line. That's super, super risky. So for me, that's a that's a uh that's a philosophy question that I don't think it could be a right or wrong. For me personally, I couldn't I couldn't go for it at that point down 14. If I'm down 14 and it's the fourth quarter, sure, because there's no time left. At that point in the game, if you don't get that fourth down, you're going to lose the game right then and there. Like you're just handing in the ball in the 30. You don't have to wait for Nick Chubb to run 70 yards. Now that's so that's just my my opinion on doing it on that side of the field. I think for most of the game, Jonah, in the in the first half of the game, I want to run off some stuff because I saw a couple people and I, and I had all my stuff ready because a lot of people were saying, well, Miles Garrett is absolutely killing. Let me tell you something about Miles Garrett. And you just brought this up too. What makes special players special players is because they make special plays when it counts the most. If Miles Garrett didn't make a play on that second and six, he wouldn't be Miles Garrett. Like, there's no opportunity for you to go a whole entire game and just stonewall Denzel Ward, stonewall Miles Garrett and all these different things like that. So what you have to do is put yourself in a position when you're up so that now Miles Garrett can't you, – you, you know what I mean? Like, they did that to us. They're so We're so far down. In the first half of the game, let me tell you this, Miles Garrett lines up over Jonah Williams, 43 out of 50 snaps. Garrett finished with only four pressures, tied for the second fewest of a whole entire season this year. Williams was only called for two of those pressures on this, and he had a grade of 
And that was little chipping. So from one-on-one aspect, even Jonah was popping some stuff today at the press conference today and said that we're going to be doing this for years to come. So make sure if you're a Bengals fan and you're and you're looking at Miles Garrett and saying, well, Miles Garrett's in the backfield. Miles Garrett will eat whoever's lunch. Whoever. If you're up 14, 17 points, I'm pinning my ears back and I'm going to attack. I'm going to make Clowney probably look like Reggie White. I'm up 17 points. I know what the opposition wants to do. It's third down every single play. When you go up set 14-7, after the Nick Chubb uh, run, that's where all the pressures come. In the first half of the game, anybody has a chance or you want to go to my grandma or whatever and look at the link, we can rewatch the first half of the game. Super comfortable. Joe was willing and dealing. Joe made costly mistakes staring down Denzel Ward at the goal line. I don't hate the play call. I don't hate anything about it because the same play worked last week against the Jets. One-on-one where Uno takes the dude, I think that was Bryce Hall or one of them dudes, Takes him like that, improvises. The only difference is Joe Burrow does a college mistake, doesn't go through his progressions, looks him from the snap. As soon as the ball is snapped, I'm looking right at it. But a lot of people look at these games and look at stuff in hindsight. While the game is going, um, let me tell you this, too. Jonah Williams had only 19 true pass sets. The guys that have to make plays, like they have to make Miles Garrett-like plays, are Jesse Bates. Logan Wilson's and Hendrickson's, and Hendrickson's of the worlds. They had their three worst, those three right there had the worst PFF grades that they had the entire season. When you go look at a lot of these Nick Chubb runs when all is lost, or even when the game is within reason, it's guys like Ogan Joby in the backfield ready to make a play, hands on them. Hendrickson in the in the in the in the backfield ready to make a play on them. Eli Apple from the safety position on the 70-yard Nick Chubb run. Standing right there, flat-footed, Nick Chubb, uh, one cut, gone on him. Guys in position to make a play, and they don't make a play several times in the game. It's only right that Miles Garrett answers the bill when he does because he's Miles Garrett, and he's arguably the best pass rusher in the NFL. Anybody sitting here or sitting at home thinking that you're going to go a whole entire game and Miles Garrett isn't going to do anything, you don't watch enough football or you're not thinking realistically. But what Jonah Williams did to Miles Garrett, statistically, I just ran off, was the best that a left tackle has done against Miles Garrett all entire season. So moving forward to all of these different things, I feel like when a game is out of reach, there is no team that's going to be able to come back from that pass rush, that run game, or anything like that. And the same could be said, I think, about us. If the Bengals get you in a passing situation, as Pittsburgh Steelers saw, we're going to rely on our coverage and we're going to rely on our front four to get to those guys. And I think we can make something happen. But the difference is when we play teams like the 49ers or the Browns, those are bad matchups for us. From a run game standpoint, the the, the linebackers that we have, they're not aggressive enough to shed blocks. The corners are too small, like Eli Apple, not trying to single guys out, but that stature, that frame. The Trey Flowers of the world are the guys that probably need to come into the game if you're going to go into these running games. You see Tyler Shelvin get activated. These are the games where coaching does come into play where the Cal Shanahan's and the Stefanski's of the world are going to run. And you're talking about Callahan, the GOAT of zone blocking. You know, like he's out there running. And once he sees your front, Callahan's going to adapt to it every single time and run against everything that you thought that you could stop. And he does it to everybody every week. If you go look at the Browns' losses this year, it's against the Chiefs. It's it's against top-notch talent. I still think, from a roster standpoint, at the healthy part that the Bengals are in right now, 
In my heart of hearts, I feel like for position for position, the Bengals have a better roster with the with, without the Browns having Browns have all these injuries and stuff. But the difference is the Bengals don't have the room to create uh, this dramatic comeback with the with a non elite offensive line. Like they can't go down 14, 17 points against a top ten NFL team in the, in the national football. You can go down fourteen points to the Jags. You can go down 14 points to the Lions, teams like that, but you can't do that against them. And the lack of tackling, the defense not coming and answering the bill for two weeks was the thing that hadn't happened all year, and the Bengals just couldn't recover for it. I will argue if they just did enough, if they just stopped them on on the Nick Chubb uh, thing, I think we got a ball game. I think you're down 14, what was it, 24-10. Bengals get the ball after the Hendrickson sack. The Bengals go, they maybe get one first down. But that's the part where special players have to be special. They have to make the plays. The T. Higgins of the world, two hands on the ball. Uno, I'm the biggest Jamar Chase fan in the world. You cannot drop a touchdown pass. You can't do that in those type of games. You can't drop, you know, like the you can't fumble on your side of the field and play against a top tier or top 10 NFL team and think that you can recover from it. You're not good enough for that. And that has nothing to do with coaching. I'm going to tell you the one thing that I thought uh, Zach did. The two-point conversion, you said, hey, why don't you run it and mix it in the, in the red zone? I think they were thinking the same thing. Read option to mix in two-point conversion, stupidest play call of the game, the worst play call of the game. And I thought that it kind of, in a weird way, took a lot of momentum out of what we just did by scoring that touchdown. But it is what it is. I think the Bengals still, from a skill position standpoint, still from, like, if you run the first half of that game, I'll run those same plays and not get turnovers, not give you seven and take away seven off my board. I'll put up 30 on your head every single week to anybody in the National Football League, and I still feel that way. But the defense has to be able to, at the very least, bend and don't break. All of these plays, I just put on my Twitter, hands on Chubb, hands on guys, and not bringing them down, which is a tall task. But they got to be able to make those plays. Miles Garrett's making those plays. Denzel Ward's making those plays. You know what I'm saying? So these guys have to make those plays. And there ain't no excuses. I'm going on a limb. I'm putting everything I got out here in the world and saying that these are the best three wide receivers in the world. You better do miraculous things. You can't put the ball on your hands. You cannot go up for a contested catch and not come down with it. I have no sympathy for you. You are the best at what you do. You are the reason why we drafted you that high. You're the reason why Donovan Peoples-Jones only has 300-something yards and I got Browns fans talking trash to me online like he's lit. He's not lit. He's wide open because he beat Eli Apple on a bump on a bump scheme because they're coming in to protect the run. He's aided by the best run game. He's aided by the best offensive line of football. And how does Eli Apple get on a on a one-on-one with him? Because they got eyes in the backfield trying to tackle Nick Chubb because he's running for eight yards a clip. I don't have that same luxury, but I do have the lit wide receivers that will take over the world if you allow me to. And when they get hands on a the ball, they better do it. And they got to make those plays, just like Miles Gary did or second and sticks. No, I agree. But there, there's some other things we also have talked about with Chris Evans. Chris Evans to be in instead of Samaje Piran, right? Another play that happened in that game, Samaje Piran drops the first down. That ends up being, I believe, a punt or something like that. The other thing that I didn't like was Troy Hill ends up getting three sacks on corner blitzes, right? And Troy Hill, if I'm not mistaken, he plays in the slot. 
covers Tyler Boyd. If Troy Hill realizes they're not going to throw to Tyler Boyd at all with Tyler Boyd only getting two targets, that freed him up. And there was just no adjustment, I think, to that corner blitz. And that was one thing that I feel like they needed to make at the coaching level. But even defensively, like you said, in terms of the defense, there were some fronts, and I had to go back and look at them, some fronts weren't the best kind of defense to play against a team like the Cleveland, the Cleveland Browns, where you end up having a Wyatt Teller on Jesse Bates, and you're expecting him to be able to get through some 300-pound linemen. Right. And so it's, they had they it's had three they had three man fronts. You're going to see when you go back and watch it. They had three man fronts and a lot of those things, and it allowed Baker to just sit back there on one of those Nick Chubb that that out route or something. Three man front. Yeah, I believe Baker, it. Baker didn't have to do. He didn't have to do anything. anything. He's got the dog. He's got the dog script. He's got the dog script in his back. Completed passes. I'm not trying to hate on the man. I'm just saying that's what but, the back. But but look, he's got the Dalton script in his back pocket. Like, think about how Dalton went. He always won games. Like, I hate that, you know, like I don't want to take nothing away from him because, but I will say that. Do you remember when Baker did have a little bit of time or he had that he was rushed in the throw? He threw the ball down. Yeah, like his, had his to, had to do it. Just, no, I'm talking about I'm talking about in this game where he threw the ball and the, and the ball hit the dude in the legs. I mean, Landry's wide open, like 20, 30 yards down the field. His mechanics are shot. Even the pass on an out route to Chubb, like he's like, like I don't even like his mechanics. Like I think he's like, he's not a good quarterback, but I can't prove it because uh, he's aided by that beautiful offensive line. And it just goes back. We're no matter what we do in life, Ace bro, we'll never be able to escape Team Sewell versus Team Chase because it's two different philosophies that work. You could go, you could go Browns. You could be bums for 20 years. You could be trash for 20 years and go draft offensive line, offensive line, free agent, offensive line, offensive line, and go and go create an offensive line and come out with this beautiful product that if it works and you run and you get up on teams, then everybody in their mom will be saying, Yeah, we need to go get an offensive line. There's another one though that is out there for Team Chase that says, I absolutely destroyed the Ravens. And there's nobody in this world that can stop them. But there's two different philosophies. Some weeks it works and some weeks it doesn't in the NFL. And we'll never be able to escape that, bro. I, think, I promise. Yeah, I think the type of team that the Browns are, you know, the number one running attack in the league, they got the best line in the league. They got a good defense. Um, but, you know, the one thing that I will say is from a, from a philosophy standpoint, I don't know defense. We got to take a look at the film. He has had some success had success against the Bengals. I don't think that this was a game that you could stamp this one and say that this was the Baker Mayfield game. I think this was more of a Nick Chubb and that defense game um, more so more so than the other. But at this moment, Lou Anarumu has got to get in the lab the next, the next time that this team plays the Browns, and he's got to do some things to cause Baker Mayfield to have some pressure on him, come at him in, in creative ways, and do the same thing that you did with Lamar Jackson, right? put emphasis there was emphasis on that defensive game plan there wasn't really an emphasis on the Mike White game plan I'm not sure what the emphasis was on the Browns game plan and I'm not here to point fingers I'm just spreading it to several different people so you've heard me say Burrow you've heard me say turnovers as far as Chase you've heard me say Zach Taylor you heard me say Lou so this isn't just on one person in particular it's a collective team effort but like Zim said at the beginning of the show the sky isn't falling but this is just a situation where you have about 11 teams 
with within a game of each <laughs> right, other or have right. the same record. Right. So the Browns fans, this is this is the other thing. I respect the Browns. They went out and they beat right. us, right? But For at sure. the end of the day, let's talk about this. Before the season started, the Browns were being anointed as Super Bowl contenders. <laughs> all of this. They were just all of this and that, right? They have the same record as the Cincinnati Bengals. So we're not right. gonna let like I remember Browns fans telling me that they argued with me for saying that they were going to win 11 games. Right. They thought that, that 12 was too low for them. So at the end of the day, the one thing that I will say is this race isn't over. We're 2-1 and one in the division. 1-11 right. through 11 all have the same record. The Browns, even after that Williams night, still aren't in the playoffs. So right. if, if the Bengals game and the Battle of Ohio game one is your Super Bowl, then that sounds kind of crazy from a team that was talking <laughs> super reckless at the beginning of the season. And what's crazy is we were expected to win four and five games. And then we started feeling ourselves, the standards changed. The standards shouldn't change for the Browns if they're completely a better team and all of this and that. And they were supposed to go to the Super Bowl. If you have five and four and you're the Browns at the end of the season and you don't make the playoffs, but you're sitting there saying, at least we beat the Bengals or at least we swept the Bengals, that's still a hell for y'all. Like, that's still a bad season. Somebody said it may roll after let, 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 let me let me be clear too on this too though the browns i be, i believe i was i was i was on record as saying this too before like baker will never be joe and i stand by that 100 percent. and that's just what i see that's the mechanics that's the poise that's the everything about it so i'm gonna stand on that 100 times and it is what it is and the browns fans i have to find out the hard way whatever that's cool but for yesterday they were the better team they beat us at the line of scrimmage they outran us in every aspect. Miles Garrett came to play. Their stars came to be stars. And the Bengals stars didn't come out and be stars. They didn't shine on anything. And when the opportunity has to present itself in certain situations like that in life, you got to you gotta ring the bell. Whether that's Lou Anarumo adapting to it and being a star coordinator, if that's, you know, like Zach, you know, calling whatever, like everybody has to rise to the occasion and call up. You know, maybe a blitz that maybe they aren't expecting. Mike Hilton's got it. You know, it's so many different things that have to happen in big games for it to work out. That's why I said for me, the Bengals still on paper or in real life, if they don't turn that ball over at the beginning of the game, they don't give. I don't. I had. I'm on your goal line. I I took away seven off the board. I gave you seven. Then I'm driving again. Uno gives you another seven. I just outlined 21 points right there. What did we lose by? 21-24 in a, in a non-contested game where I feel like Joe is turning the ball over too much and doing things that he shouldn't do. But if he just take a page from Baker Mayfield's script, I guess, it's that you at some point you do have to manage football games and you do have to be basic as hell. So, Baker, like, you are basic. And, and it doesn't matter that they won – in that regard, but I do have to give them the respect to say that they outmatched us at every single level of football yesterday, and the better team won. I do yeah, want to be better, able, I do want to be able to say that, but it doesn't change how I feel about the Bengals or whatever, you know, whatever it may be. When we go to play the Raiders, it's going to look totally different. There's different teams that I study, and, and two of them that I don't like against us has always been the 49ers and the Browns, as far as us on defense. I thought it would be a shootout. Bengals made too many mistakes to even get into a shootout. I thought when it was 24-10, we could put, like you said, we needed seven right there, and I think we're shooting it out. And they didn't do that. And Chubb and company went ahead and rose to the occasion. And people got to be able to accept that sometimes, like, 
in the big games against the Ravens, when Uno goes and breaks that tackle and busts that game wide open, it's the equivalent to a Nick Chubb 70-yard run. Some games you're going to be able to do it, some you can't. What is Joe Burrow like? He likes to be blitz. Browns didn't blitz at all. These mat- these are the matchups that people have to watch. Like, if you give Joe Burrow time and, and let him improvise and everything like that, he'll kill you. But Miles Garrett didn't even allow that. So when they did that, now the, now the Cleveland Browns are able to play their coverage. They don't have to blitz. And it's the well, they perfect- did they did blitz the corner. They did blitz. They br- yeah, they, yeah. they blitz him three. I mean, he had the three sacks, right? But I'm talking yeah. about like throughout the game for the total for the whole for the entire game. Part, yeah. For the total for the whole entire game, I think they blitz or had a stat on it. I think it was like 17% or something like that. It was way right. lower than any team has blitzed them all year, it, especially in relation to games where we killed teams that did want to blitz. Matchups I do like. I like us against the Chargers. I like us against the Raiders. I'm looking at different teams as I look and I watch football every week. And Browns and 49ers, I'm just flat out tell you, on our defensive standpoint, unless they start loading the box up with something crazy and Trey Waynes comes back and is able to play one-on-one coverage, there is no scenario that you can't give Eli Apple help over the top. So with that said, you can't just load up the box and put nine in the box or some crazy amount of number and think that you're going to just back up whatever like because you're going to see that's exactly what Donovan Peoples-Jones did to Eli Apple in that situation. So there's different games that I do like and there's different games that I don't like. But if you get up on anybody, they're going to look like the craziest team you've ever seen. We had five sacks on Lamar Jackson because you got up on them. Now I know you want to pass. Now I got five sacks. Everybody has to take everything into perspective when you watch these games and understand, like, there's only but two, three teams I could think that could probably come back from that thing. And I think the Bengals had a chance to come back on it, but too many mistakes, couldn't convert when it when it mattered the most. Fourth down, T didn't come up with that catch either. So, like, for me, the number one person that tells you about all these players being so legit, it hurts me more that the players didn't come and answer the bell when the opportunities presented itself. And I'll be the first ones to tell all of them that before I even open my mouth to Zach Taylor or anything, because I know that the Browns wish that they had T Higgins. I know that the Browns wish they had that. Can you imagine that Brown scene with a Jamar chase? Do you know how crazy that would look? They don't even have that luxury. So, you know what I'm saying? Like they have to rely on running and when they do, they do it very well. But can you imagine? Can, can you imagine if that? And I want to say this to close this bad boy up. The Bengals should get OBJ. <laughs> and everybody, everybody's going to think that's the craziest thing. On uh, The number one thing, Joe Burrow's getting the ball out 2.5 seconds. What did Odell Beckham Jr.'s father put out there? That Odell Jr. is getting open very quick. Four guys, Jamar, T, Boyd, and OBJ, five wide. I think I could get open. People talking about uh, OBJ being a diva. He would live with Joe Burrow. He would live in Joe Burrow's house. He wouldn't. He wouldn't say a peep. He could wear his Halloween costume without getting hated on. We don't care about divas. Divas. We created Ocho Cinco's of the world. We didn't did all of that, and we didn't won plenty of games with that. So anybody worry about that? I get it. There's a good argument to say we got chemistry and whatever thing like that. But if everybody's out there crying, I ain't got no tissues for you. If you ain't trying to go get talent, if you feel like you need to make something better, he's a better player that he's a better fourth option than what we currently got. And he's available. And that's, that's how I want to close out my show. Do you have any, that that's, 
I think I can manage him. I'll talk to OBJ. I'll be like, bro, don't even say nothing the whole entire year. We're going to go out there and we're going to win the division and we're going to go get these dubs. And we're going to be the greatest wide receiver core in the history of football. All that diva stuff. We ain't doing no interviews, none of that stuff. This is how it's going to go. And we're going to get these dubs. And I bet you it worked. If anybody objects to that, you don't really want to win. You're only interested in winning in the way that you want to win. That's my that's my opinion on that. Yeah, I want to win. I wouldn't mind if they go out and get OBJ. The one thing I'll say is it's still it's still uh, a road where the Bengals really can control their own destiny. They just got to beat these teams. It's littered. The next half of the schedule coming out of the bye week is littered with the teams that you're in competition with for that playoff spot. So we're going to find out very soon whether they can beat teams like the Raiders, whether they can beat teams like the Steelers, all these teams that they're going against that are – in competition there, Chargers, all of these guys, that is what they have to do. We can't have any more slip-ups or any of that. They got to come out of this box prepared and ready to take on the rest of this schedule, given that they've dropped some games that they probably shouldn't have when we talk about the Bears, the Jets, and all of that. There's no room for that moving forward. I think that they can get back together and weather the storm. But like you said, the players, the coaches, the entire team, it's up to them how the rest of the season goes. And I have faith in them that they can put this thing together. We'll have to see it. I can't sit here and, and say that it's going to happen, but I think that they should know at this moment, given what's happened in these last couple of games, that they can come back and still still potentially either win the division or make the playoffs. It's not out of, it's not out of touch. All it takes is a week or two or a team to drop one or two games, and you're right back in it. So – don't feel like the Bengals season is over because it's not. It's really just getting started. And what I'm going to leave y'all with is the playoffs start week 11. That's what I'm going to say. And with that said, yes! Thirsty. Hello, world. What separated your deep ball from everybody else? My deep ball, it has a little secret sauce to it, man. <laughs> I never get too high, never get too low, but just keep moving. The, the whole story is Carlos never beat me in any kind of sports 